Hello, and welcome to Academic Conversations with Merton and Morgan. I'm Mary. And I'm Alicia. And we're here to share content that supports and empowers students, parents, caregivers, and educators. Hey, Alicia. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm good. What are we talking about today? Well, our last podcast was around myths that we felt like were important to address. And so we wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the myth where we said all elementary teachers are experts and how to teach literacy effectively to all students. So we wanted to break that down a little bit more and kind of talk about maybe some of the reasons why. I'm ready for that. And I also want to point out, if you're listening to this for the first time, that the myths are about how literacy is approached in schools. Yes. All right. So one of the myths, as you said, is that elementary teachers are experts at how to teach literacy effectively to all students. Why do you think that people make that assumption? Well, because we're teachers and (laughs) we've gone to school for this and Uh we have degrees. Some of us have multiple degrees. I mean, I would, if I were not an educator and I were a parent sending my child to school, I would assume yeah. that you knew exactly what to do and how to meet the needs of my child and every everybody else's child. I think that's a safe assumption to make. It and seems like a logical assumption. Absolutely. All, all parents and caregivers, people involved with school-age kids, they do make that assumption until something happens to show them something different. And usually that's when the learner comes to a point of difficulty. And I think not just parents. I, I remember a long time ago being a first-year teacher and kind of assuming I was ready and excited and I thought I'm ready I'm I'm gonna do this and just getting into the classroom and knowing wow I don't I don't know half of what I need to know in order to address all of the needs so I think it's it comes as a shock to your system so it, I don't think it's just parents it's it's also teachers when we it's, get in and realize wow that's so true that is so true wow yeah. I don't I learned a lot, but I don't know enough right yes. mm-hmm. and I think also now that you say that when I was a new teacher, I wanted to go to the person next door or, you know, another teacher and say, how do I do this? And I was surprised that sometimes those people didn't know, even though they were, I would say they were expert teachers because they knew um, how to manage a classroom and most of their students were successful. And so my assumption was, well, they must know everything I don't know. But when it really got down to some difficult questions, they didn't always know either. Yeah. Did you have that experience too? I did with a few, but I, I felt really lucky when I had my first teaching job. I was surrounded by really knowledgeable people who read. And I did have a, a partner teacher across the hall and she would use maybe not approved resources from the school I say that but her kids read when they left her classroom Mm -hmm. and now that we've done this research I know what she was doing she was doing the best what we call best practices today but she had to you know do it kind of under the table because Mm -hmm. it wasn't the popular strategy or practice at the time Mm -hmm. Um, which makes me laugh because she had strong readers coming out of her room that what you just said covers a lot of what we're about to talk (laughs) about that's a really good segue but I wanted to point out too that your first teaching job was in primary right Um, yes and mine was an intermediate so I would say that that probably was a difference too for the two of us as far as people on our team knowing um, how to help a kid who might be on say a first grade level in third or fourth grade and or fifth and they didn't know how to help that student. Yeah. There were all kinds of thoughts and opinions and 
you know, resources, but not necessarily knowledge. Right. And I just, I just got lucky that my mentor teacher who was assigned to me was a literacy expert in her wow, own right. I mean, awesome. it, it was just like that. It, it was just meant to be. Yeah. And she really just was mm-hmm. kind of like a sink or swim. Like you, you have to delve into this. You have to read for professionally. And I'm, I'm grateful yeah. to have that experience with her. That's great. Not everybody gets that. No, And, and definitely I, I understand not. that now. Even so. primary teachers don't always have right. that. Okay. So one of the, topics that we identified through our life experience um, and through our association with universities is that schools of education don't always agree on what the students, the teachers to be, the pre-service teachers, what they should learn. And we found that in lots of different institutions, haven't we? It's funny, they don't seem to have a a national set of of standards for all pre-service teachers. I think it maybe from state to state and maybe even from universe or from institution to institution mm-hmm. even. But we, we see that in schools, though. We're still in schools. I think the Common Core state standards was the closest we've come to as a nation to actually try to get on the same page. But states didn't have to adopt it or they would adopt maybe a modified version. Our state chose to go all in K through 12. Oh, my gosh. It was so chaotic, it wasn't was- it? Uh, K through 12, first year. K through 12, first year, we're just going to jump uh, in. Yeah. And so I think that that is hard too because students move. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we, we're such, we have close states. One of us lives in Kentucky, one of us lives in Indiana, but it's, it's a 20 minute drive or 15 minute drive over the bridge. So even in those two different states have different sets of standards. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's confusing and, it is confusing, and I know when I was in my um, my program to become a literacy specialist, they did use the ILA standards, and they have to seek accreditation for the classes that they, um, you know, teach to the students, and and that's good, but. There, it still doesn't feel like it's very cohesive. You can go from one place to another, uh, taking classes, and you'll get very different ideas about what it is that makes a student become literate. Right. Right. Yeah, and um, another thing that we've talked about a lot is personal philosophy of who might be teaching a class versus what we've been learning so rapidly about brains because we have the tools to do that now. And um, you experienced that, I know, when you were um, in school. Yes, and depending on if, if someone had a research project maybe out or if they were trying to sell a book, <laughs> yeah, um, that does tend to happen. So, And I think that also trickles down into the schools. So it's it's a mirror, I feel like. Um, I definitely had a philosophy when I first started teaching and I was a little dogmatic about those philosophy. I believed in them, but after growing and learning over 20 years, I see that there are ebbs and flows. And like we talked about in the, in the former podcast, whatever the initiatives are or whatever your, maybe your school or your district mandates, that's what you have to go with, whether it fits your philosophy or not. Some educators are more outspoken about it and fight a little bit harder, but eventually you, you have you're being paid to do a job. So right. yes, um, you you have to do that job. But it's for many reasons. Sometimes the philosophies do not always align with what the research says to do. And I think you're right. Over the the last few years, we we do have access to so much scientific research and the, and we read a lot about literacy practices and it's it, it may be in different formats but it feels like or it seems to be the same 
core components over and over and over, no matter how it's packaged. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. And um, just going back, I'm a bit older than you are, but when I started in my undergrad, that was when the reading wars were in full force. And I know I've told you this, but I I would love to share with our listeners how it was being an undergrad and um, going in one class and being told, you know, whole language is the only way. Why would you ever do anything differently? Here's why it's right. Everything else is wrong. And then going literally down the hallway to another classroom and being told the complete opposite by another um, professor and then having to do assignments to please both of those people and having to completely flip-flop. And even back then as a pre-service teacher, a lot of us talking and saying, well, don't they kind of both make sense? Like, wouldn't they work together? And I still, you and I still say that, like, well, you really have to see what works for kids and and bring the best of of what you know to that mission. So, um, and then also, like you said, we're paid to do a job, but we also are bound. If we're working in public schools, we're bound illegally to follow state standards. I mean, that is literally non-negotiable part of our job. And the way people might be interpreting that up the line in a district might not necessarily be the same interpretation that a classroom right. practitioner might have. So. I think all those things make it a little, no, not a little, they make it muddy. Okay, so what's our next um, reason that we think? So professional development. So like I said, when I was a new teacher and I'm like, oh, I really don't know. I need more. Yeah. I need more help. I need more help. It, it varies school to school. So professional development is not always streamlined either. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever initiative your district lays out and that's determined by the state laws and then it's school to school and even maybe team to team and classroom to classroom. Yeah, that's true. So, and maybe you can get the same, maybe you need the same professional development, but where you are in your learning, I was thinking about this too. I remember going to so many professional developments and they were great, but it really, I either as a, as a professional wasn't ready for it. Or it wasn't what my students needed at the time. So I think it really has to be timely. Mm-hmm. And you really have to need it in your in order to either absorb it or remember. And I remember a lot of times going to colleagues, professional learning colleagues, and saying, okay, I need help here. Oh, well, use this. Oh, yeah, I went. To, and I had a whole folder or whatever. It comes mm-hmm. back to you because at the time I acquired it I didn't maybe I didn't need it at the time or didn't fully understand Mm -hmm. what it was I was learning so we have these initiatives but everybody getting the PD is at a different place and their classes as a whole are in different places I have another good example of that because as I've mentioned so many times um, I am an ESL instructor practitioner as well as literacy specialist and there have been so many times that people have come to professional development about the language acquisition and uh, culture and all of the things that affect students um, adding another language and they didn't really seem to jive with it but then they ended up going to a school where they had so many English learners and I would hear from them again and they would say remember that stuff that you talked about like do you have anything else or do you still have that powerpoint and I mean I love it because it's like you said they remembered that they heard something about it, but they it just wasn't it wasn't what they necessarily thought they needed at the time. And right. That's okay. Um, you just have to be able to go back and access those things later. But 
Also, I think it's just how much professional development is available. I know I've worked in three different states and three very different types of districts. And one of the districts I worked in was very small. It had um, a lot of high achieving kids and a lot of parent support, but there was no really professional development because we were a district that was an elementary school and a middle school. That was it in a small um, university town in Southwest Virginia. And it was like, if we ever wanted professional development, we had to, like, I remember driving to Charles, Charleston, West Virginia with a friend to go to NCTM because I felt like I needed math development. So we drove all the way there for the conference just because there just wasn't any, we didn't have a whole host of specialists and coaches and you know, right. all the people who are the developers of um, that kind of development. One good thing about it was that the teachers would get together and try to problem solve things. Yes. We would read books together and we would talk. However, there's that's great and that was helpful, but there's also more that you can access. So other than taking classes, it was at a university, it was really hard to even find that. And I'm sure here in Kentucky and in Indiana, too, in some of the small rural districts, uh, they probably have some of those same issues, just being able I'm to sure. find it. Yeah. Although we have online so now, so that's... Yeah, that's nice. It's at our fingertips. Yes. So another issue that contributes to that myth that all elementary teachers are experts at teaching literacy effectively to all their kids is um, resources. So when you think about that being an issue, what do you think of? I think of it twofold. There's either not enough of the right resources or too many of maybe not the most effective resources, but they are readily available for purchase and you can follow them and they're done for you. And it's more of a one size fits all, but maybe doesn't always align with state standards or the needs of your students. And if you don't really know how to use them in the right way or exactly what your students actually need and you're not able to be responsive, then they just become um, not as effective as they could be. Yeah, and I think it's about how they're marketed too. I think um, because we don't necessarily have standards that all the states are using now because a lot of us got on board with Common Core, but, you know, neither of our states that we live in still use Common Core, so that didn't last long. But um, because we don't really have that, we have a lot of so-called, like, educational celebrity type people. Some of them are very well known because of their research, and it's solid and it's good, but um, it just kind of seems like it depends on whose name is out there and whose face is out there and who is package something that looks like it would be the probably the most uh, most affordable for the largest amount of kids and you and I know from our school schools and also from our work in our company that responsiveness is key you have to have a huge host of skills in order to meet the needs of kids so and thinking it might come from one place because it looks like it does or because it's there's a big shiny metal on it that says um common core aligned and meets the needs of English learners and all the other things that they put on there and then you take a look at it and it's just sort of um, a very surface attempt to address those needs and then be able to say oh yeah well we did that this this will work for your English learners too or this will work for your kids that are far below or above grade level expectations I've never seen anything that actually can do all the things that they propose that they can do I don't I don't know if that exists I don't 
think it can exist because right. the brain is too... Well, I just think about how we prepare for our clients. We're constantly reading and digging and adjusting. And I, I mean, we have a lot of experience. We do this day to day. And I still have to spend <laughs> yes. a lot of time preparing and problem solving and analyzing my records and thinking, okay, why did they... this? reader do this? Why are they doing this? Oh, they're still doing this. I thought that was cleared up. Okay. Yeah. So it's not, let's read, let's try a different strategy. So, yeah. And you and I have each other and we always will reach out and say, Hey, yeah. will you just look at, look at this? I'm going to, I'm going to screenshot this and send this to you. This is what this kid did on this assessment. And you know, we'll just both be looking at it, scratching our heads and thinking, well, could it be? Well, might it be? And everybody needs that. And we don't always have that. The resources, too, I was going to say this. This has to do with um, the follow-up and the training that's involved with the resources. There isn't always there isn't always that uh, all the way to the teacher um, training that comes from the developers or the publishing house or the company so that those questions can be asked directly by the people who are using the materials. I know as a former teacher trainer, I did a lot of, I got trained and then I took it to them. And that's good. And you need that model when you have a huge district. But there were a lot of times when I really wished that they could be there so that they, you know, because they were the ones who were doing it. So a lot of times that's not very available. Like the people who created the resource are only there for a short period of time you're nodding and they I'm only nodding. work with people for a, you know for a, a lot of cost you know a lot of it comes into cost so um, that's really um, something that I think can be a problem are you thinking obviously you're yes doing that too. I'm, I'm shaking my head because I, I am one of the people that train the trainer. train train yeah. the trainer uh-huh. um, and it's great for me I just grow and yeah. get the knowledge but I I, then I have to adjust it because in, in the school I work with teacher, every teacher's in a different place. Mm-hmm. And it's my job as a coach to modify and meet their needs where they are. Mm-hmm. Too. I, not only responsive to the kids, I need to be responsive to the teachers. Um, and sometimes that it's difficult. I mean, I, I, I've even said my principal and I have had conversations. I was like, I wish they could just hear this firsthand yeah. because yeah. they know where they are in their learning. They know what they need to hear. They might take it a totally different way than I interpreted it too. And yes. that would facilitate great discussion. Yeah. So I, I understand why it's done. Yeah, um, I do too. But, but I'm with you as, as a classroom teacher, I always wanted to hear, I would have rather heard it firsthand. Yes, me yeah. too. Yeah. And there were times when I was lucky enough to have that, yes, but not that often. I mean, usually I was the one like you said the intermediary and then if you are a person who's being trained to take something back it also there that's another level of um where something there could be a barrier there because it really depends on the person who's been trained skill set in conveying what they learn right to the next audience and i mean we both know from being new at a job like that that it takes a while to learn how to do that you have to really be diligent and you have to really work hard and you have to work outside your hours and you have to go to other people and learn from them and and not everybody is at that place or able to do that so sometimes that can just introduce another it could be a barrier you know sometimes to teachers getting the information I'll speak for me I'm the one that has to kind of decide 
okay, you have them, you have the teachers um, a meeting for this much time. You just sat through a six hour training. Oh, right. You have one hour within yes. maybe 45 minutes yeah. by the time we go. What are, so I'm the decision maker about what's the most important. That's a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. for me. Um, I take that very seriously, but it's also like, wow, I worry about not giving them the right information that they might need. So, I get that. yes, there have been times when I've been to six hour sessions and been told I had a 40 minutes at a staff meeting to try to convey the main points of it to a staff. And I just thought this is, this is just an exercise in futility, but okay, we'll do it. All right. So we have a lot of thoughts about that. Oh, the other thing quickly about resources is, and this has just happened to me recently. So it's in the front of my brain. Um, when you get training and you can see the value in the approach and the strategies and maybe you're even trying some of it with students and you're seeing them be successful however you don't have all the parts and pieces of the program just for lack Mm. of a better word or the approach that you have learned so for example to make it more clear i know you know what i'm talking about but to make it more clear for a listener i recently came across an orton gillingham based reading approach that is just the right thing for some of the students that I work with as an interventionist. And um, I have some of the parts of that that go with that. And then I other things I don't have. For example, I don't have all the student um, texts that I need. So I've had to go and try to find things or um, buy things myself like we always do. To me, going out and training a large group of people, which had been done previously with this same Orton-Gillingham-based approach, None of those people who were previously trained were given all the materials that they needed in order to implement all the strategies. And so that happens in our district. It happens a lot because we have a hundred elementary schools and so a hundred thousand, you know, students overall K through 12. And I understand that it's an investment, but if you just keep giving people part of an approach, a program, a resource, and not all the things that they need, the parts and pieces to be able to use it with fidelity, then it's always going to look like things are failing. They're not working when maybe they would have if teachers didn't feel like they had to go spend hours and hours of their time. Hunting and gathering. Yes, hunting and gathering. So that's just kind of, um, that happens in our setting a lot where we get, get the training, but we don't necessarily get all the materials that we need. What's our next one? So our next one is teacher mindset about literacy. So what we were kind of thinking there is we are elementary. So we teach and are expected to know every subject (laughs) where I know in every grade, every grade of every subject. Yes. And I know middle school and high school, you know, you might be a um, science specialist or, and even then you might only teach chemistry or only teach biology. And in elementary, it is reading, writing, math, science, social studies, um, mental health, et cetera, et cetera. So development, yeah. But in saying that, we, I've, I've worked in schools where the older grades are departmentalized. So maybe one teacher teaches the math, one teacher teaches the reading, one teacher teaches science, and, and so forth. But with literacy, if you are really to be responsive, you really need to know, and it affects, literacy is the one subject that affects every other subject area. Yes. And I think we tend to forget that and think, well, I'm really more math. I'm just going to say, because that's what I hear. I'm more math minded than literacy. I don't like to read. 
You don't have to like to right. read to understand it. Right. I don't like to write, as you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm self-conscious about mm-hmm. it. Um, but I love teaching You're writing to kids. You're an amazing writing teacher, yes. Um, <laughs> because I just, I just, kids are so much better at writing than me. I just love to see <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you that, put but... yourself out there for kids. You do it when you need to do it. You're not going to hold back or even tell them you don't prefer that activity because you know how important it is for them yes. to see their teacher and modeling that as an important life skill to have. So you you move past that when you're with kids. So I so I'm using I'm going to use math because I worked with the most incredible math mind for six years. I was mm-hmm. lucky enough; she was my instructional partner. I did the literacy, and she did the math. But what we learned together in those six years is that it it all goes together right math workshop has been one of the new concepts because it's not just we're not going to go to the standard algorithm where we just solve the problem they need to know why they need to know the concept behind it they need to be able to explain how they solve the problem not just the correct answer how did you get that multiple ways of getting there Mm-hmm. That's those are all literacy based practices because they're the discor- thinking skills. They're thinking skills yeah. exactly, and they have to write about a lot of times how they solve the problem. So there's discourse, there's writing, problem solving. Those are all literacy based practices. Mm-hmm. Writing like a scientist, writing like a historian. But if they don't have those basics skills, the big five, which we're getting ready to talk about, it's hard for them to apply those in the different subjects. And it does affect if they learn the subject content or not. Right. So I think it's, I don't want to say dangerous, but I don't think we can, I don't think we can get away with saying any longer, I'm only a science teacher or I'm only a social studies or I'm only a math because you can't be. Literacy is embedded. And I think it's only going to help the content and subject area if you understand the literacy practices because you can be responsive definitely through science, definitely through social studies, definitely through math. Word problems are a huge, huge math component in elementary. Yes. And half the time they know the mathematical concept. They just can't read or understand the word problem. Yes, and I I have recently... have some new clients based on that 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 fact because the parents have said not only are they not liking reading at all and haven't for a long time but now they hate math and they don't want to do math because the reading demands in math have increased yes. and so they they come and ask for help because they say well this is a this is a broader problem you know than we realized that it was so i totally 100% agree with you and i think even in middle school, from working with some middle school and high school people, they are also figuring out in middle and high school, they have been for a while, that literacy is important in every subject and not they, they can't really stand alone when um, kids don't have that literacy background, even at those stages. So I think what you're saying is so true. And also for all the teachers, all the teachers to understand literacy as a gatekeeping skill, meaning and you've said this a lot of times, if they can't read fluently, we're never going to see what they really know on any assessments. They're, they can't read it. They can't be successful. So 